0: I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I am honored today to have a very special guest. He has been mentioned several times by some of my previous guests. They all have uh, referenced him as a, a pleasure to work with and somebody who's been very inspirational in the industry. Uh, his name is David Davidian. He is a tour manager primarily, but he has been a production manager, a video director, a production uh coordinator video director lighting designer stage manager he's done a little bit of everything the three times that i've run into him on the road he's been in three different hats and most recently he was the tour manager for alice cooper and uh, i was really hoping to just kind of sit down and chat with him today and he's been so kind to sit down with me for an hour thank you so much for, for being here david
1: oh thanks for having me i really appreciate you wanting to talk to me that's my i'm um... Flattered and honored.
0: Yeah, uh, you, you're very humble, and I and I love that. A lot of people have mentioned that about you. A lot of people have said that uh, you were there in the very beginning to give them their start, and that you've been very <laughs> that instrumental. That just makes me old. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to say uh, legendary. I don't say I, I, I'll, I'll go with I'll go with epic, uh, well established.
1: Thank you, man. Thank
0: you, man. So one of the things I find thing about you is that you seem to just be in love with our industry in general. You're not necessarily in any one specific field. You just love a little bit of everything. How did that How did that come to be?
1: Well, I mean, honestly, I am. I do love the industry and I love being a part of it. And I've always felt very grateful to be a part of it, being a just a kid growing up in a little town in Massachusetts and being able to actually have experienced all this stuff. I feel very lucky and uh and you know just grateful I guess uh I mean how did it come to be uh, I don't know it just started from a, a love of music uh you know I started uh, as a kid who was crazy about music and then uh you know when I was a t- uh, young teenager 16 17 I promoted a couple of shows and uh and I had on my third attempt, I think it was, I did my first national show, and it was a bust. And the lighting company that I <laughs> hired took pity on me, and they offered me a job. And uh, I accepted, and, and then that kind of started it. But uh, I enjoy the, the business. It's a, I think that, I mean, it has its very difficult sides and that is of course mostly when you have a family because you're away from home your family suffers your relationships suffer all of that suffers but you know you it's a very very good job gives you tons of experiences you'll never experience any other way and it gives you the opportunity to be in places and in situations and events and all that stuff that um, many people aren't lucky enough to experience and I've always been appreciative of that. And, uh, you know, I mean, honestly, Chris, I've just been a working man. I always consider myself a worker bee who just goes out there and tries to do every job he can with as much, you know, good spirit, hard work and uh, dedication as I can muster to get the job done and help the people who hire me look good. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it, man.
0: That's important. It sounds like the your initial way in was you were trying to throw the party, until you realized that there's more money to be made in supporting the people that want to throw the party.
1: Uh, Not really. I mean, I didn't know any better, man. I I was 16 years old. You know, I uh mean, I just said, "How can I do this? How could I get into this? What could I do, living in my little town, to, to like be a part of this?" And then, you know, since I liked it, I started going to bars with little local bands that played. And then I, I decided to put on a show with one of those local bands. My father happened to own a, a bar, so he, was, he let me put them in there and I charged for tickets and I made money. And I said, wow, that's cool. And I just did it again and then did it again. And then I said, okay, how can I do this, you know, bigger? And then I tried to do it bigger and I fell flat on my face. <laughs> And, that's, uh, that's,
0: that's uh we take our, our knocks don't we we keep trying to get yep. the, the higher we climb up the ladder the harder we
1: fall that's right and then because of that like I said the lighting company uh they took pity on me and they offered me a job and I went to them the first show I didn't know one damn thing about lights and they started me right from the scratch I mean they started me from the very beginning and I I started humping gear and learning about electrics and learning about the equipment and then they started teaching me about design and, and, uh, you know, I, I had, I suppose, a creative side because I used to draw, you know, chalk drawings in my fourth and fifth grade on the, in the classroom, these big murals, multi chalkboard murals of like the civil war or the world's fair in New York. God, I'm fucking old. Uh, and all that. Uh, so I had that side of in me, but you know, that was the, those two people, Richard and Sam, who taught me about design and all that kind of stuff. You
0: know. So you you, and, you just uh, had to pick up and, and start running from from there. Yeah. You didn't there was no background, no education per se, in no specialized education. No. You just you just picked there it all was, up. I was in high school. Hard not I was in
1: high school, man. Yeah, right I was on. in high school. Learn by learn by doing.
0: When you're in high school you don't realize the path that you're setting forward to the no. touring career lifestyle before you have a family you can't even foresee how tough it is going to be to hold down relationships in a family
1: no no absolutely not I uh I did it because and and of course once I started doing it I loved it I got hooked on it and uh you know it 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 was great I mean but I never I thought I'd do it for five years you know and do my (laughs) real job you know uh (laughs) And uh, it just, it never went away, and I always loved it. And, you know, I think it was, what is it, 1981, about nine or ten years later when my mother actually accepted that it was a job instead of just something I was doing crazy, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, we all kind of think that we're just going to be in it for a little while. We're going to do uh, one or two bands, and then we're just going to go back to real life. But it, it, it rarely happens that way, does it?
1: i you know again i i think so i it's what i've found over the years is that here's the thing man it is a lot of back-breaking work it is a lot because i i went right from the beginning i loaded trucks i thumped gear i was the lighting guy first in last out just like the production manager but there you go and it is back-breaking work and the hours are out of control and uh you know, you learn very quickly who's got the stomach for it very quickly when you're, especially when you're on that end.
0: I would imagine you know it I mean? wasn't all about the money when you were 16 either. That was, I would imagine the no. backbreaking was for even less money than, uh, than, uh, it's never been about the money these days.
1: It's never, ever been about the money, buddy. Ever, ever, ever. And I, I shame on you if it is at the end of the day, because, uh, you know, what the hell are you doing this for? If it's for money, first of all, it's not the best paying job in the world. You can get to a point where you do well and all that stuff. But I mean, look, this is a job. I always think that this job, man, you're here to provide that audience an experience that is inspiring fun. Uh, you know, uh, in, uh, I don't know, just like, <laughs> I, I, what's a good word? Not, not life changing or anything, but you know, to, you're there to impress the audience entertain them, inspire them. And that's what you're in for. You're not here to make a crap load of money. If you're there to make a crap load of money, then none of it's going to work because that's, that's no reason. I mean, you're, you're here to like, you know, contribute to these audiences who are your employers at the end of the day, the people who pay your salaries Mm -hmm. and you're there to provide them a great, fun experience and thrill them and excite them and, you know, get them going. That's what you're here for. That's what you're there to do. It's got nothing to do with freaking money.
0: So what was the next step from just getting your first job and then kind of dipping your toes in the water to realizing this was a profession and that you were going to move up to the next level? Where do you go from a lighting technician?
1: Well, I mean, uh, I went to lighting designer. I mean, I I worked with uh, uh, this company called Virgo Light with uh, Sam Schneidem and Richard Ocean. I worked with them for probably almost 10 years. And uh, I started, you know, doing all the Boston bands and then some, they were a local hire company. So I got to experience all kinds of incoming bands that we'd rent spots for, et cetera, et cetera. And then also the bands they went on tour with, which are all the Boston bands, you know, Jay Diles band, Aerosmith, James Montgomery band, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, a Duke and the Drivers, all those kind of people, you know. And uh, me and my best, one of my best friends, Larry Wineless, were also part of this. We would, I would go out with Richard, who was the designer, and uh, he would teach me all this stuff. And we would, it'd be him and I, you know, it'd be him and I in a 20 foot truck or a 24 foot bobtail, and we'd have the lighting system in it. We'd drive everywhere and uh, unload the truck, set it up, and uh, and then build the rig and uh, execute it. And, uh, you know, we did this back in the days when, you know, when the gas strike was on, we used to carry a 50-gallon drum of gasoline in the back of the truck so that we could siphon the gas in case we couldn't hit, <laughs> find a gas station that we could, uh, we could get to in time. We'd have to, I would have to, since I was a little man on the totem pole, siphon the gas out of the 50-gallon drum in the back of the truck and put it into the uh put it into the tank but of course every time we pulled into a loading dock we had to have everybody put out their cigarettes and make sure they all knew there was a 50 gallon drum of gasoline at first thing at the tail end of the truck <laughs> which is that pretty is, exciting
0: that is some pirate style touring right there you've come a long way from that
1: <laughs> yep so i mean you know richard and sam taught me about design additive subtractive mixing creating drama, you know, when to turn lights on, when to turn them off, all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And, uh, I learned, I learned from them with their help and their guidance. And then, you know, like everything, then I began to strike out on my own, doing local shows, people like Gil Scott Heron and all that, who was an amazing artist. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, I started being the guy with, it was myself and Larry, who was a designer as well, we started with Hot Tuna, It was probably my first full fledged design client. And uh, you know, then we Larry and I were driving the truck and we were setting up, tearing down, etc., etc., etc. And then I started designing with Hot Tuna and then went on and on and on from there as far as doing design work for them. And uh, it sounds know, that like was you were 70, just mid 70s. <laughs>
0: It sounds like you were willing to just say yes to everything. Anything that that could. Of course. Step you up the ladder. You're like, yeah,
1: let's try it. Well, I mean, again, it's, you know, it's not even up the ladder, man. It's just like, oh, it's a job. You know, you got a job. I'm working. Here I am. I'm your Huckleberry. You know what I mean? It's, uh. I've actually, I had uh, these days, I've had some, you know, younger people ask me, you know, how did I get, there's no strategic planning to what I did. There's just, I needed a job. Somebody had a job. I took it. That's all. There's Mm -hmm. nothing strategic. There's nothing strategic. And once again, I think that if you're trying to strategize a career, you got, you got it all wrong, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I took anything. This is what I say. You know, I took rock bands funk bands soul bands acoustic bands uh it doesn't matter big small whatever there's there's things to learn from things to learn from and i was just happy to play around with lighting at that time that was me learning about myself color angles mixing you know et cetera. cetera. you know the difference between putting sandwiching two gels in a frame as opposed to Two lights with those same colors coming from left and right, and seeing how that mixes—you know what I mean? That, all that stuff. You know, that was that was the fun part. We were enjoying ourselves and uh, and working. You know,
0: that is a lot of fun. Those are the things that uh, <laughs> keep us coming back for more. Just seeing lights sparkle and blink and well, taking control. Well, yeah, blink learning is-
1: about different. Yeah, learning about different beams. What kind of fixtures create different beams? How you can modify those beams, change them. Beam size and how that how that creates different moods and looks and you know enhances enhances the background and and this is something you know i won't call it a pet peeve for the modern world but i always learned i was always taught that it was our job to create an exciting and beautiful visual background being the key word for Mm -hmm. what the band is doing on stage and highlighting those, you know, what the messages that they're trying to get across to the audience, you know, whether that be exciting, slow, you know, fast, slow, et cetera, et cetera. And I find these days, with all the advent of the wonderful technology, that I see more and more people just doing what I call chasing the snare drum and just having so much activity going all the time that. They're not really they've lost the message of trying to highlight the background of the music and let the music drive them. It's almost like they're in competition with with the music, you know what I mean? And then for me, if you're, you know, winking and blinking all the time, then when you do something big and exciting, well it's diminished by the fact that they've it's been winking and blinking all night. And and then, you know, yep. something else is it seems like these days more and more that the audience is being barraged by the light show, mm-hmm. uh, which I get it. When you tilt the angle, when you tilt the angle, when you tilt the beams up into the crowd, the beams read more, there's bigger graphics, all that stuff. But I don't know. It just seems like when you're the guy standing in that 10th row and you're getting the lights in your face all night long, hard to see the guy on stage sometimes. So yeah. I don't know. I, I, I just feel, found that that you know these days with all the advent of all these wonderful moving lights and and all that technology and everything like that that i don't know it's more of an assault than a than a you know compliment and background and you know uh, painting or illustration of what the artist is trying to convey
0: yeah, i agree That's i uh, i've seen a lot of people just kind of completely lose restraint and just mm-hmm. go off the hinges.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, and if you're, and if you're strobing all night long, you, you lose the ability to actually create a big moment, you
0: know?
1: So when you I were mean, that's what coming is. up,
0: mm-hmm. did it ever come up that you were getting like multiple offers at the same time? Did you ever have to like, go, like, Oh man, I already said yes to somebody, but I would really, I would much rather take this job. Did you ever yeah. have uh, uh, scheduling
1: conflicts? I've definitely had scheduling conflicts both in video and in lighting more than anything else, and, uh, and it's, uh, it's really, really difficult and created various problems and regrets and all that for me over the course of time.
0: It is a great problem to have. <laughs> how, do, how, do you, how do you deal with that?
1: Well, I mean, for the most part, I try and honor my word. You know, if I tell somebody that I'm doing their show and that they've been kind enough to commit their money and, and faith in me, if somebody calls after the fact, then I have to decline. You know, I have to decline. I If there's a way that I can offer something like, well, I can get it started. I can design it and leave it because I have another commitment. I try and do everything I possibly can to accommodate that other person's faith in my you know, design capabilities. But I I try and always honor my word and kind of first come first served situation, whether, you know, like I say, money or status or anything else be damned. And, uh, trust me, I've gone into situations. The worst thing is going into a situation where you accept that. And then four, four weeks into it, they decide they don't like you and you're out in the goddamn street and you've lost two other jobs that uh, you probably would have been happier at. Yeah. That's a tough one. I mean, you gotta honor your word, man. You are only as good as your word, and uh, and to me, that's that's uh, you know that's it.
0: Sometimes you get reserved on a job, and then you set that aside, and then you, it's the same deal where they're like, "Oh, that one, yeah, that that show fell apart a week ago. We just we forgot to call you. Like, what? Well, I, I had that scheduled yep. aside for you, man. I turned down another job. That's like, oh yeah, sorry, we didn't we didn't call you, but. But as yep. long as you're still exactly staying true happened. to you, that's, that's the important. That's
1: right, buddy. Yeah, that's, a great, that, that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. You, you've got that and I've had that happen before, but at the end of the day, Chris, I got to be able to wake up, look in the mirror and say, you know, I'm okay. You know, yeah. that's it. And that's and that's what I think is more important than the money, more important than being continuously working. I, you know, and of course, Chris, this is a, part of the birth of all the different jobs, you know, is that the more that you can do, the more that when you find yourself, you know, up Schmidt's Creek, as they say, uh, is that you can start calling (laughs) around and say, uh, say, look, Hey, yeah, you need a lighting guy. Sure. You need a video guy. Sure. You need a production guy. Sure. I'm your Huckleberry. I can do it. So that's kind of where that all, that's what gives birth to all that, you know,
0: uh, that's actually another great next topic is, do you, do you like going on tours wearing multiple hats?
1: Oh, I, it depends on the tour for everything. It depends on the, the act and the people you're working with, no matter how many hats you're wearing. Uh, but sure, absolutely. I enjoy it. I mean, you know, when, you go, when I would go out doing both jobs, like I have in the past, I mean, do lighting designer and production managers. That's usually the easiest combination of lighting designer and video director. Oh, sorry, uh, video mm-hmm. director and production manager. You uh, can't really do too much with a tour manager because the tour manager has to spend so much time with the band that you really can't get the, enough time on stage, uh, enough time at the stage or in the venue to really execute one of the technical jobs. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. of course, with the production manager jobs, you can, and many have. So I, I've enjoyed it. I think, you know, the best thing about it is there's less people you have to argue with. You know what I mean? You got an idea, or you got something you want to get done. That's the that's the best part of it, because if you're just the lighting guy, you have to go through the stage manager, through the production manager, through the manager, and all that stuff. So if you're the production manager, it eliminates a few steps. So that's a a big bonus. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's more work. It's more work. Those jobs, production, tour managing, and all that, are twenty four seven thankless for the most part jobs. I mean, God bless everybody on the crew, but you know, many of them have no idea what it takes to walk in the shoes of a mid-level management person. And, you know, they, uh, in not understanding they say and do things that are, let's just say without proper understanding of, of what they're saying and doing that can be very hurtful and very sad. You know, uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it, it is, it just gets super time consuming. I mean, it's like goodbye life. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. you know, if you if you're not advancing shows, getting stuff going, putting stuff on, then designing the shows, then dealing with all the design problems that you have on any given show with equipment and local companies and Back to the advance, back to management problems, back to per diem and financial. There's, there's no time for nothing. You know, you're 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 gone. You know what I mean? Everything that but you what an all your time is totally spoken up.
0: What an interesting slide into so much authority and uh, responsibility. At first, you just wanted to help out with the lighting, and next thing you know, you're taking care of financing. You're taking care of uh, flights and hotel details and fulfilling writers and you're like, Whoa, how did I, how did I end up
1: here? And I, uh, because I have a paycheck. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I ended up there to pay my bills, you know, to feed the family when it came there and to be able to pay my rent. And, uh, and the fact of it is that, like I say, I loved this job and always loved it and it gave me the opportunity to do it. Mm -hmm. It allowed me to do it. So if I have to do that to do it, I'm all in, I'm okay. Uh, It's just interesting. And this is what I learned when I put those hats on that, you know, that like I say, I think that it, it would be great for everybody who did this to kind of experience those jobs and really understand. I mean, you know, this way when you get some kid going, hey, my per diem's a day late, when you want to look at them and say, look, you don't understand, is that your band is like five inches away from going under, and then you have no per diem and you go home. So just, you know, wait the goddamn day and be happy that you're working. Yeah.
0: I've, uh, I've learned in the, in the past to have full respect for tour managers. Cause what you see from, you know. from front of house or from the stage is just the tip of the iceberg or what a tour manager is dealing with. There's just so many politics yeah. that are, yes. and uh, desires and needs that are just, they all, they all, everybody needs something from the tour manager.
1: It's crazy. It really is. And it's uh, and, you know, again, there's and the thing that I miss about doing that job and even the production job is there's not as much creative satisfaction, creative outlet. There's nothing like being the lighting guy and pushing up that monster look and having a crowd go crazy along with that. And you're right out in the show, in the thick of it. There's nothing that beats that. Nothing at all. Uh, but there's a different kind of satisfaction because of course when you're the tour manager, production manager, unless I'm doing lights, you know, during the show, first of all, that's either your quiet time or you're in the back room settling or fighting about freaking, you know, percentages and whatever, ticket prices and, you know, the cost of freaking catering and all that stuff. And, you know, you lose all that. The show just goes right by you, you know what I mean? So, that's the saddest part about it for me creatively, but, uh, but there is a creativity to, and a satisfaction when everything runs smoothly, when all these things, when you go through like Russia or South America or Europe and all these plane flights and you have, you know, when you're doing like charter flights for every trip and multiple cars meeting and all that, and all those things happen and all the hotels are there and everybody checks in and everybody's got their room There's a total satisfaction and, you know, creativity to getting that done too.
0: Yeah, that's the tough one too, because when you, all the things you just mentioned, if everything goes right, nobody ever notices. It's not until something goes wrong. They're like, what happened, Dave? What, what, why did you blow that one? Like, well, you guys, I nailed 99%, 99% of the things I had to do and. You know, I can't, I'm never going to be a hundred percent, but when you are a hundred percent, nobody, nobody notices.
1: That's it. I'll tell you one story like that. One of my, one of my favorites for that is that uh, I did the kinks once uh, as a tour manager, right? Production and tour manager with this band, with this manager, I used to work with in England who's passed away 25 years ago or whatever, both for Saxon and the kinks. I did everything. I was a tour manager, production manager and the lighting guy, right? So it was nonstop, but to do the kinks for a guy like me who grew up in the sixties was like, that was it. That was as close to the Beatles as I ever get, but even better in some respects. So, I mean, first of all, to be in Ray Davies house with him packing his freaking suitcases to go on the road, that was like, Holy shit. You know what I mean? To be sitting in that Muswell studio with them where they made all those records. My God, it was just crazy, crazy cool for me. Really exciting for me and so you know i don't know if everybody probably knows that, that dave and ray kind of are at each other a bit you know what i'm saying which i overall on the whole tour had a really really good time with them but at the end of the tour it was a football game in uh, in wembley in the uk that dave asked me to get him some early flight tickets to uh, to go see right after the last show uh, he asked me that like whatever four weeks or so before the match well, like three days before the damn match, Dave asked me the same thing. Get him those tickets. I couldn't find a way to get there. Couldn't find a ticket to save my life, a plane ticket, that to get him to the match in time. And he just looks up at me and he says, almost perfect. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> almost perfect. That's. Man, it's kind of a backhanded compliment there, isn't it? It's like, well, normally you're pretty good, but today you really let me down.
1: (laughs) That's right. You And that my brother got it, and I didn't. Oh, man. But, you know, I mean, honestly, uh, from the stories that I've heard in the past, to just have that, I thought I did really damn well. (laughs) So So
0: one of the things you just mentioned is how happy you were to work for that band. Is that something that's been... on your peripheral for a while, just looking for the bands that you respect and the no. ones that you want to work for.
1: Nope, never. No, I, I work with bands that I get. That yep, nope, I work for the bands that I get offered. I just have been lucky enough to have been offered some bands that I was thrilled to work with. And trust me, I like. I have found that every band that I've worked with, that I have found certainly a respect for them as people. And a respect for their musical genre. You know, I mean, like I say, I've done Metallica, I've done Van Halen, I've done Bon Jovi, I've done a New Kids on the Block, I've done Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, In Sync, uh, Three Tenors. Every one of them are, first of all, really nice people. And when you sit there and listen to their music, you, I, I certainly always respect the talent and the quality of music that they do. And how they connect with the people who love them. And that's, I find that with everyone I work with, I I can't ever say that, you know, that I've worked with a band that I found totally useless. I've always found something to appreciate about everybody that I've worked with, whether or not it's the music that I'd put on in my house when I got home, totally different thing. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yes, I totally do. Uh, in fact, uh, my wife and I often teased me there was one band that I really didn't care for at all. In fact, it was they were my least favorite band until I got a phone call to go work for them. And then all of a sudden, they they quickly moved up to my, my highly respected bands, even though I, I never really dug their music. But getting mm-hmm. to know them was very – it changed my mind. It changed my views completely, especially exactly. when you get a paycheck from them. You're like, oh, all of a sudden, I like you a lot more.
1: Well, I mean yeah that's everybody appreciates that, but I mean honestly from a from a creative and uh and musical aspect i've always found that once you actually sit there and listen every night you go, "Oh yeah, okay, you know they may not be what I listen to, but man, those harmonies are great, or the way they craft this is great, or they they work hard, you know what I mean that you know they're not phonies they you know that there's always something that you can find to to appreciate I mean look these people wouldn't be there to the to the point in their life where they can hire people like sound guys and lighting guys and all that look at all the hundreds and thousands of bands who struggle with the ability to hire anybody and you know when you get to the point where you can hire a full staff and lights and sound and buses and video there's got to be something there there has got to be something there worth respecting and appreciating you know
0: I agree yeah, there's a lot of people so you just that gotta they find it. A lot of bands, they're nervous when they have to start hiring people because they they don't realize that the, the production is going to add to their value. And so I would imagine it's a huge step. For, you have to give them a lot of credit for being willing to to hire so many people.
1: Absolutely, it, It's a huge step and it adds a lot. But what it adds a lot to is their budget. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard. It's not easy for bands to, I mean, it's not easy for many bands to run with full production. There's a lot of bands that really end up just making t-shirts and, uh, you know, t-shirt money and all that, that work, that production costs almost are a wash for their income. And all of their true profit is made from merchandise and, uh, and secondary things. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, it's an expensive proposition for any band to take out production. We cost a lot of money. Yeah. And not only just in salaries, it's hotels, it's per diems, it's travel. All of that shit adds up to a shit pile of money. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if somebody's ponied up to hire you, you certainly damn well better appreciate that and give everything that you have to make that commitment to you worth it.
0: On the flip side, though, there's a lot of – it's very important to choose who you're hiring, especially when it comes to a tour manager or a uh, production mm-hmm. manager. A lot of people mm-hmm. say, like, I don't know, can we afford David Davidian? And the, the the immediate response would be, like, can you afford not to have David Davidian? You know, if if uh, somebody's booking flights late, you're going to pay triple. Mm-hmm. If you're getting wrong mm-hmm. travel instead of, you know
1: – That's right.
0: If you're getting limos for everybody, you're going you're gonna to lose your shirt really quickly.
1: That's right. Those are absolutely things that separate, you know, separate the good and bad versions of every job, whether it's light, sound, audio, you know, light, sound, video, and production and tour management. The, it's that knowledge and, for the most part, experience that, uh, that really separates them. And, uh, but, you know, here's something that I would always say to anybody is that before anybody thinks that about me, give me a call and ask. Give me the opportunity to turn it down. I would hate to have anybody, I, I hate to think that anybody would not call me up because they think they couldn't afford me. Because Mm-mm. first of all, some doll, for me, my little mantra, is, some dollars are better than no dollars. Yep. And uh, secondly, is that I appreciate where band statuses are, what, what their income potential is. And if I like the band, what their income potential could be. So, you know, in the future. So I would encourage anybody, whoever would think about hiring me to give me a call and, and talk to me about what they can afford. And my rates are flexible. I don't, I'm not like, you know, I don't come with a menu. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I'm here to help you out. I'm here to help out and see what I can do. And like I say, I would rather work than not work. And, uh, a few dollars, one way or the other, especially if I believe in the band and they're nice to work with, which to me is has equal value to uh, to dollar amounts, yep. because the nicer they are, the easier it is, or the easier it is <laughs> it's, a, it's a plus
0: i'm with you on that so, one I'd I like to be able to keep my 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 rates flexible. The only time my rates really start to go up is when i 'm double booked or I have multiple offers on the table and I can use one as a bargaining chip against the other. Mm-hmm. That's the only time I really yeah. start to see my, my rates increase. The busier I get, mm-hmm. the more expensive I get, but uh, oh, man, yeah, I'm I not busy. That. My, my rates are very flexible.
1: Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. And uh, you know, when it, when it comes to that time, when you have more than one band, I think it's all those things you have to consider, you know, the, the rate, which band you might enjoy, which band excites you creatively more. Mm-hmm. It would be what I'd do. If there's a band that I listen to their music and boom, I just see it. Then I would kind of reach for that. You know, I would reach, I would go for that. You know, there's a band that inspires me or there's a band that I think not only this record, but I see their potential talent in the future, creating stuff, you know, that's uh, very exciting and worthwhile and all that. So once again, it's, for me, it's never been about money, which is why I don't have a lot of it. <laughs>
0: uh, you brought up another important topic that without production value, it's, it's really difficult for bands to make it to the next level. You, know, you can't get out of the yes. bar scene or the small theaters without increasing your production value. So a lot of yes. times hiring the right person will help take you to the
1: next level. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I mean, I mean, look at Roy and Prince, you know, I mean, holy shit, you know, I mean, Roy and he were just joined at the hip and what he did for them. I mean, you realize that that freaking purple rain movie was shot at first Avenue. I mean, holy shit, man. When you think about that, you just, and the, and the, the year that it was shot, I mean, Roy did an amazing job for them and his talent and and ability to work. I mean, and the DP of course, because DP is critical with all that, but I mean, that's just case in point about, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the production value, uh, pushing forward the excitement and interest in an artist. I mean, Roy's shows for Prince were, you know, just the best ever. I mean, Mark and Pink Floyd, you know, uh, no doubt about it. Yep. You know, I mean, yep. that's, uh, you know, it is what, absolutely important.
0: The production value is what separates some of these shows and not because they overshadow the music, but because they complement the shadow. Mm-hmm. They complement exactly. the, the music perfectly. Exactly. If it's a big, interesting song that lends itself to flying inflatable pigs, then mm-hmm. by all means, you need to have flying inflatable pigs.
1: Right. But again, that contributes to the story and the thematic and the overall concept message that the band is trying to convey. Mm-hmm. It's not just there to be there.
0: <laughs> I I keep having this image in my head of you being on a tour, being uh, the production manager and the lighting and just having to have a conversation with yourself of trying to figure out how you're going to make something happen and who's going to pay for it and I would imagine yeah. that you are wearing multiple hats that, that it makes the process that much more streamlined.
1: It does. It makes it it makes it streamlined, but it makes it difficult as well. Cause you have to be on, you have to, you know, you have to, uh, cater to both sides, to both mothers. You have to serve both, both sides of the coin. And, uh, but yes, it, it, it definitely, it, it definitely streamlines the, uh, the process and, mm-hmm. You know, your contact as a creative guy is one step removed because a lot of time the creatives are all, you know, don't get, you know, the, their ability to talk to the artist is reduced by the middle management steps in between them and the artist. Sometimes each process is different. So if you're the production manager, then again, all that's removed and you can speak directly with management, and the artist about these thoughts, costs and ideas and get them done instead of having a production manager who either is, you know, of course that all depends on whether the guy's on your side or not on your side, about how it gets sold.
0: Hmm. So when you move your uh, way up higher up the art hierarchy and you end up having to hire positions that you've had in the past, do you find mm -hmm. yourself being helicopter or do you usually just let them go and do their own thing? Or do you have any input? So let's say you're now the tour manager and you have to hire a video director, do you just mm-hmm. completely take the video director hat off and walk away? Or do you still get to get some comments in?
1: Um, well, uh, I would say that certainly I, if I bring somebody in, I trust them and I trust their basic visions and instincts. But no, of course, I can't totally <laughs> remove the hat if I go out and watch the show. And uh, I feel like there's something that I, I, I think might be you know, improved on or done differently, then I would have a discussion with them. But I would certainly have that discussion, you know, rooted in the most kind and respectful terms possible. And I never would give a mandate. No, never. I would never, ever give anybody a mandate to change something. I would say to them that you know, that I would give them, and first of all, I'd give them concrete reasons, not like it's too warm, or it's too mushy, or it's too, you know, those are descriptions I just can't stand from people, (laughs) Um, but I would give them concrete reasons why I thought that it could have been done differently, and my thoughts of what could be done to make it you know, approached or done differently, but I would, again, offer those with the utmost respect, courtesy, and, you know, that I could possibly offer. And to be honest, uh, it depends on, you know, what percentage of the show I didn't like. And if they, you know, refused to do it and thought that it was their way, then honestly, at that point, I would see if my position was agreed upon by either management or band and the next time around I'd make a change. Mhm. But I would never fire anybody midstream because again that's the most horrible thing to deal with that. Well, I would say we all but certainly I've dealt with in the past getting sacked after starting it. That's it's mm-hmm. it's emotionally for me, emotionally and financially and it's hard and heartbreaking all at the same time because you commit yourself personally and emotionally to all these things and when you ultimately get basically told by that that you know uh that you're uh, inadequate or whatever then it's uh it's really pretty devastating for me i don't know about other people but man i just realized
0: that you're kind of a force majeure in this in this role as tour manager because nobody can bullshit you nobody can tell you like hey so i can't patch that fixture you're like yeah you can in fact i can show you how to do it or nobody can come to you and say, Hey, look, I can't get the ratio right today because of X and you're like, Yeah, you can. And uh, you you yeah, know just enough about everybody's role that you can kinda of come in and say, I don't I don't know about that. I, I know I know a thing or two.
1: Yeah, I mean to a degree, yes, there's that. There there is that to a degree. You know, I mean everything is different, of course, the more that technology improves and changes. The further out I see, I, I find from that. I try not to speak, in but I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Uh, you know, to me it's more like, yeah, but it, yes, but it's not to. I wouldn't go to things like how to patch and all that kind of stuff because I'm be a, a little bit mate. out of my league, right? But <laughs> yes, as far as you know, a amount of gear that you could fit in or. You know, uh, and all that, and which takes me to another thing, you know, with me as an LD and as a video director, I'm a firm believer of being there at 8 o'clock in the morning at load-in. I have always said that it is absolutely my position as a designer. If I walk into a building and I can't hang, or something can't be hung, something can't be fit in there, that it is my responsibility to work with the rigor and figure out whether it can or can't be and to cut that knot to let the crew chief do it. I think that's both unfair and unserving. And what has driven me crazy is watch other people, LDs who don't show up till two or three in the afternoon, get angry at their crew chiefs for making changes that they weren't happy with. That's like beyond the, uh, uh, you know, a faux pas in my book, but I always, I you know, eight o'clock in the morning, you make the changes, you're designing the system. So you design the changes that needs to be made to fit it into a building so that it can work properly under any situation that's thrown in, because God knows we know that every building can be different. Same thing, camera positions with the video director. I put the camera positions out, I'm responsible for them, I pick them every day. I go out every day. I'm there at eight o'clock in the morning and I believe that that is absolutely part of the job. The whole idea of showing up at two or three in the afternoon, <laughs> Yeah, no bueno.
0: It definitely yeah. sounds like you're able to lead by example in that way too. Like I'm not going to ask anything of you that I'm not willing to do myself. If if I demand that you're there at eight a.m., I'm I, absolutely. It's only because I've done it and I can still do it,
1: and I will do it. I load the truck. I helped when I was video director and all that. I helped load the truck and all that stuff. You know, it's like I am a team member. I am not your boss. I am a coworker, not your boss. You know, I mean, to think that your position is any more important than the crew chief or the lighting guy because, boom, you know, what the hell can you design if the poor lighting tech can't get the shit fixed? You know what I'm saying? You know, you are a co-worker, a co-worker. You are not his boss. You are not uh, either above him or better than him in any way. You are one of the spokes in the wire wheel. Yeah, I've that's always it. felt
0: that's... Uh particularly unique to our industry is that we're kind of a, a tribe and we have to kind of bounce from tribe to tribe and just fit in mm-hmm. as quickly and as seamlessly as possible. There is no yep. such thing as being able to come in and say like, well, on my last tour, we did it this way. Like, well, you're not on that tour. You're on this tour exactly. now.
1: And Oh, God knows people do it. <laughs> better adapt. But that's my answer. Yeah. yeah. That's my answer. You know? Yeah. You're not there anymore. You know? So, so deal with it.
0: <laughs> you're on this tour now and uh, we, pe- we put our shoes in the back lounge so you put your shoes in the back lounge and don't let me see you putting your shoes anywhere other than the back lounge now.
1: That's right and this is why problems happen I mean it is tough on that respect and this is why sometimes things don't work out you know but mm-hmm. for the most part I, I always feel it's your job to fit in and like I say understand that you're a part of a team especially when you're a lighting or a video director if you will you know um i mean i I have a hard time even calling myself i mean i've never had any training but i figured after you know i learned again by reading some books and getting out there and doing it and i guess i finally you know after about 10 or 15 years doing it i guess i could say i was a video director because i've done it but i i'm certainly not a video director by schooled education you know what i mean you know, I mean, that's, that's the job we work. That's the field, if you will, that we work in. And, and actually part of what makes it so wonderful is that you can, whoever you are, you can get a shot at doing this. If you just put in the hard work and you, you know, you take, you you pay attention, do the work and have the desire, then, you know, you don't have to have a college degree to get hired. You know, you don't have to be white, red, blue, or Brown or anything to get hired, male or female, you can just do it if you put in the, uh, in the dedication. I mean, my daughter now is a video projectionist and all that stuff. But I mean, I did the same thing with her as far as I, I kept her out of the business as much as I could because I didn't think it was a good business for her. But once I decided that, you know, this is it, she's going to do it no matter what she wants, or no matter what I want, then I, I put her in as a stagehand. And I said, you start from the bottom. You push cases, you load cable, you listen take directions from other and then you work your way up from there because that's the only proper way to do it. And she did. And God bless her. She's now, you know, uh, successful in her own right. And I'm very proud of her. Well oh, that's but, great. You know, a
0: little family business going on here.
1: Uh, you know, two, two members. <laughs> nice. Uh, do
0: you still but, make uh, time to go out at the end of the show and kind of collect a little bit of the applause for, for your efforts? Do you, do you take a percentage now, of the applause?
1: No, I'm never interested in applause. No time for I that. No. Of, no interest really. It's not about that. You know, I do it for the work. I do it to do the job, you know, I mean, I do it to do the work. I mean, I, I like the work. I, I, I love being creative. The things that I feel that I've like developed and invented over the course of my lighting thing and all that and a little bit in video, I'm very proud of and happy about and, and I do it because I enjoy it. I do it because it's a, gr- it's a great job. It really, really yeah, is. But, so terribly right now. You know, you have to, you have to uh, do it because you love it and uh, be able to take input and criticism. You know, you, uh, you, you uh, told me you sent me that thing with Mike Balbasari, who I love with all my heart, uh, mentioning me, which is so kind, but he saw one of my shows, him and Peggy saw one of my shows and actually came back afterwards and gave me some very good constructive criticism after they watched the show. And I listened and adhered to it and it made my show better. So, I mean, it works both ways, you know what I mean? It really, you have to remain open to input. You have to, but you know, I do this because I, I like it. You know, I do it because it, it gets me excited and it's creative. and. Like I say, when you're in that audience and you do something and the place erupts and looks beautiful and all that stuff, there's nothing like it, Nothing like it. You know, when you yeah, when I you agree. when you do something that's never been done. I did that catwalk truss for Sammy Hagar in 1982 or 81. You know what I mean? And first time those drawbridges came down and he ran up on top of that front truss, it was like super exciting for me super fun super super great but here it is something that i don't think has been done before boom there it is you thought of it you got it done and there it is the guy standing up there you know that's that's what i do this Mm -hmm. for i don't do it don't do it for money i don't do it for applause i don't do it for status i don't do it you know i do it to work and pay my bills and i do it because i love the work that's awesome. You know, I think I think the work is great. I mean, you know. Well, I don't want to put you on spot you know. too much,
0: but how do, you, how do you think we're going to get back? How do you think we're going to get back to work now? What sort of steps can um, we take? Do you think it's going to be social distance for a while? Do you think it's going to be uh, hand sanitizers all over the place? Is it going to be taking every fourth seat out?
1: Well, I think it's going to be some combination. I I pray to God, and I'm an optimist when it comes to this, because I'm so desperate to get back to work. But I am hoping that by the end of the fall, we will be back up again. But I think, you know, the, I think the key, the absolute linchpin to getting back is somebody coming up with either a treatment or a vaccine that's going make to this, make this, that's going to be workable for this so that people can get it and then be safe, if you will. I think that when the shows open up, I think without a doubt that there's going to be uh, disclaimers and all the windows and doors, like when you did a film shoot, you know, saying that coming to the show, you're at your own risk. If you get sick, can't sue the promoter because that's the big thing the promoters are concerned about is that they're going to get their ass sued off. If they have a show and 500 people get sick, they're going to try and hang it on them and sue the promoters because we are a very uh, let's use the word litigious society so i think that Mm -hmm. you have to do the disclaimers i think that you'll have to be able to hand out free masks to anybody that walks in the door i think that there will need to be hand sanitizer stations and like boxes of little tiny single serve hand sanitizers that people can grab and use and i think that the bathrooms Mm -hmm. also will need to be kind of monitored so that the bathrooms don't become overcrowded. And I think doing all that, as far as, I mean, there's, it doesn't make it to me any sense about seat removal or any of that stuff, because we've all been to enough shows. As soon as the band goes on, everybody's going to crowd the stage. I don't care how many seats, where you've been seated, how many security guards you have. I think that it's going to be close quarters no matter what you do. So the best thing you can do is give people the ability to protect themselves with masks and hand sanitizers, keep them, you know, keep the bathrooms safe and of course keep security such that, you know, crowds can be managed. But uh, I think that if you do all, I think that will all happen in the beginning, but you know, this, the vaccine. I think we just saw that.
0: I think yeah. we just saw that no matter how much space there is available, people are going to crowd down yeah. front. That's, that's why mm-hmm. we go to shows is to for that crowd mm-hmm. down front. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that, I mean, the drive is things, our, I think, get back to that. We want to get back there as safely as possible, but mm-hmm. I mean, that's why that's the whole point.
1: And I think we can do it pretty safely at the end of the day, if you do all those things, I mean, once these numbers start to decline, and hopefully, like I say, I don't see it happening before October or November or whatever, but hopefully by then, these numbers will be to the point where that makes the percentage, you know what I mean? If you can say that there's like a 5% chance or a 3% chance that if you go, you'll get it, then people will, you know, will take the risk. I mean, all these things like the like the rallies and the Trump, thing, the Trump rally and all that, there'll be good indicators. I mean, I, I honest, honestly was thinking that what would be cool to do is to take a small venue like the hard rock, one of the hard rocks or house of blues and all that, and actually put on a show for free that you could, if you can get an act in a city like Nashville or LA, right. And then get all the people who are going to register so that you could trace them and then do a show where you had a free show, if you will, but you did it a show with an attendance with the, whatever, the mask, the hand sanitizer that everybody was registered, track them over the next, you know, two or three weeks and see what happens and start to build some data that way through some either free or low cost events, you know, charge $1.99 or $5 like you used to in the old days to go see a, you know, prestigious act in a small venue because these acts aren't doing anything. I would like to think you could find one act that would kind of say, yeah, okay, in an effort to kind of open the gates, I'll do it. You know, I'll play House of Blues and, you know, make everybody actually register and track them and see and start to build data about if you have a 1,000 people in a venue two weeks later, how many have gotten sick.
0: That's a brilliant idea. You
1: know, uh, I would imagine there's...
0: there's no shortage of Americans who are willing to go to risk their lives to go see a concert and be tracked and say, hey, well, look, I'll be your guinea pig. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I hate to think of it as saying risk their lives. I mean, there is there's certainly a hope. There is a, a hope well, that nobody would be dying. But, yes, there is yeah. certainly a small potential of it. But, yeah. And also, the other thing is, the thermo- I bet you, you know, the, I think they've already got metal detectors who can take your temperature. So, everybody's going to be using those. Yeah. So, you know, take the temperature, hand out the masks hand out the hand sanitizers, monitor the bathrooms and give it a shot. But I mean, I think that's what'll happen no matter what, when shows open period, no matter what, because of the paranoia. But I think, like I say, right now when nothing's going on, I I can't see why it wouldn't be interesting at the very least to, uh, you know, have a few of these kind of test gatherings, <laughs> you know, and track everybody and just get an idea of what happens if you put 1500 people in a, in a theater with those precautions and how many get sick after, you know, 14 days later, you know, sign the waivers, of course, you know what I mean? All that kind of good stuff, but sign the waivers and give tracking information and then report data, you know, get, stay in touch with all the audience members say, okay, how'd you do?
0: Yeah. Uh, if there's one thing that I think you, you and I agree upon it, we should be increasing testing and then and, and tracking. Yeah. You get as much information as possible, not, not less.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, the sooner we can build test models of what happens, the sooner people will know how, you know, how likely it's going to be to be able to do this. But again, you know, if somebody creates a vaccine or a a treatment, well then there it is. Then boom, you know, get the damn shot and then come to the show or, you know, if you come to the show and get sick, boom, here's the treatment, take five and call me in the morning.
0: You
1: know, yeah, yeah we have a pretty really good track record of doing stuff up.
0: like that. Yeah. We do, we do history of, uh, of very, our species.
1: Yep, and they're being very precautious on all that. But I'm, I'm hopeful that something will see light of day by the fall. But I mean, that's really what it's going to take. And I hope to God they come up with it the sooner, the freaking better,
0: because I agree. this
1: is it's desperate what's going on here, man. We're, we're in deep deep hell. And, uh, you know, I got to also applaud people like Michael Strickland, who owns Bandit uh, Lights, who's really going to case with the government and filing petitions and trying to get, you know, things, get people to sign and, and being proactive with all the senators to get these, trying to get the PPP stuff done for another eight or 10 weeks for the entertainment industry and trying to, you know, alter the uh, small business loans and all that. He's really going to bat to try and create ways to help people survive through this nightmare because we are the first ones that went and we're going to be the last ones that come back. And that mm-hmm. sucks.
0: Yep. It really does. unavoidable fact right there.
1: Unavoidable fact. And for a business that's always been recession-proof, we've been financially recession-proof. I mean, if the stock market goes into the shitter – We've been blessed enough to be able to, you know, still survive. But this is the first thing in the almost 50 years I've been doing this that's ever brought it to a haunt. Same. You know. Same. And uh, it ain't pretty. No. And I don't like it. <laughs> and nobody does.
0: I, I hear you. And I look forward to uh, getting back out on the road sooner than later. I, I, I think we share the, the idea that we all want to do it as uh as fun and safe as possible but yeah yes. it, we need to we need to get back to work eventually
1: yeah no i don't want to see anybody get sick and i certainly don't want to see anybody die for this and no concert is worth dying for there's no absolutely no doubt about that uh make no mistake but you know we have to this we have to open the door i don't think we can open the door wait till after everything is 1000% safe to open the door. We're going to have to open the door when there's a little, well, I think it's worth opening the door when there's some degree of risk involved.
0: Yeah. We all drive cars. There's just plenty of exactly driving cars. It doesn't stop us from doing it. Just exactly. wear a seatbelt.
1: Still drive cars. Like a, just wear a seatbelt. That's right. It's yeah. like, you know, like your mom said, you walk out in the street, get hit by a car, you know, you never know. And so when it's time, it's time, you know, yep well right on david i I
0: really appreciate it i I feel like we could uh, we could chat for for another hour here but uh an hour is the the most i can record so thank (laughs) you so much for taking the time i look forward to coming down to houston sometime or uh, if you make it up this way i'd much rather have this conversation in a over a lunch or dinner or something so thank you so much for making the time
1: absolutely my friend anytime anywhere i'm i'm all good you know you know i'm easy to find and uh, wherever i am you're welcome thank you so much no my pleasure thank you for your kind words i i'm very grateful for that